Hi, this is David Flowers, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S., and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast, and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Grantham Church. Thanks for joining us in worship this morning. Uh, before I get into the message, have you seen the new LED lights down in the fellowship hall, down in the gym? Let's thank Dwayne Asper and any man for helping install all of those lights. They spent about eight hours doing that, and there's so much ministry that happens down in that room, that part of the building. So uh, thanks to Dwayne and Denny, and also thanks to you for your financial gifts as we uh, maintain these facilities, which minister to a lot of people by making that space available. So thanks. Uh, this is week two of our Lent to Easter series called Broken Signposts. We're looking at signposts in the human experience that point us beyond ourselves and beyond this world, signposts that point to God in Christ and the good news and ultimately to the coming of a new world. So why are these signposts or what are these signposts and why are they broken? Uh, N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar and former bishop in the Anglican Church says, that every worldview must explain seven signposts that we presently experience as broken and unattainable. Justice, love, spirituality, beauty, freedom, truth, and power. So in his book, Broken Signposts, which inspired this series, he argues that Christianity presents a compelling and relevant explanation for why these signposts are broken but also how these markers point to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus as the start of new creation. It may help if you're still trying to get your head around what this broken signpost business is all about to think about what C.S. Lewis wrote in his classic, Mere Christianity, to better understand what is meant by broken signpost. And I think that Tom Wright was likely uh, influenced by this as he developed the idea. I know he was a fan of Lewis. Lewis said this, he said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Think about that. Likewise, just as we saw with justice last Sunday, each coming signpost, so love today, uh, then spirituality, beauty, freedom, truth, and power, and our desires for these things. They point to a real thing. You need to hear this. They point to a real thing, but they can't be satisfied or fulfilled in this life. That's what this broken signpost business means. So it's a broken signpost that points to our need for salvation for redemption and deliverance, for God to bring these things about in his wisdom and in his way. And so what we're being invited to see in this series is how the Christian faith makes sense of these frustrated longings that, according to the gospel, 
has been addressed in Jesus is being addressed by him now and will be completed someday when he returns. But before we go any further, would you, would you pray with me? Lord, we open up our hearts to you. We ask God that you would make us aware of your presence in this room. Holy Spirit, you would speak words of truth, words of comfort, but also words of challenge and maybe even, maybe even rebuke. Lord, help us to see how the gospel is subversive. It's, it's often challenging our thinking and the ways of the world. So open us up to that, Lord, because we believe that through it, uh, through it we might be truly free. We might experience the abundant life that you've called us to, that you offer us. We want that this morning, Lord. Set us free by your love. Help us love others in your name. Amen. So they say that there are two groups of people. There are people who love dogs, and there are people who love cats. Right? Maybe you haven't heard this. I've heard this a lot. So raise your hand. Are you a dog person? Ooh, look at that. Okay, you can put your hands down. Raise your hand if you're more of a cat person. Okay, some of you. There's some of you. Now, if you didn't raise your hand for either of them, we, you just let us all know that you're selfish and cold-hearted, so. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I like both cats and dogs. Len and I have had them both. Uh, but I want to share with you briefly about our dogs. Uh, Len and I had been married for a couple of years when we purchased Buddy, our miniature dachshund. And he was so small, I mean, just a few weeks old, I'm guessing, and he could actually fit in my hand. That's how small Buddy was. Uh, it was just us and Buddy for about eight years before Canaan was born in 2012, our first son. Uh, Buddy was a sweet dog but he could be stubborn and, and mischievous. I remember one time I uh, cooked out on the grill some, some sausage, and uh, I was mostly responsible that evening to make dinner, and so I, I grilled up the sausage, I put it on the table, all the rest of the food, and, and, uh, and right before we sat down to eat it, as, as I was grilling, I noticed there was this big storm coming. This is back when we lived in Texas. Uh, and it looked really, really scary. And so I was like, Lana, before we sit down, come, come look at this. And so we went outside. It wasn't even a minute, right? We're looking at this approaching storm. It's like, okay. Let's. So we make our way over to the table. Just as Buddy had hopped up in my chair, reached over with his snout and grabbed the sausage off my plate, which was still steaming pulled it down into the floor, and is trying to eat that as quick as he can. And I just remember this. <laughs> and that was, that was Buddy. That was Buddy. In 2018, at the age of 14, Buddy passed away. And uh, I had to bury him in our backyard. And I remember Canaan was probably about six. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that you'll, you'll never forget, you know. Uh, first time for him to experience the loss of an animal. And as I'm burying Buddy, Canaan is just standing by the grave there and, and just crying out loud. And so and if, if you have a, a, a pet, right, 
Um, you, you know how special those, those pets can be. They're part of your family. It was, so it was very sad for our family. And then about a year later, after many requests from our boys, what did we do? We bought another one. <laughs> we decided to get another dog, Copper. Uh, Copper is a multi-poo, right? Maltese and poodle. It's like a mix of intelligence and fluff. That's what it is. Um, he's a smart dog, Copper. Uh, he lets us know when he's hungry. We even have these dangling bells from the door that he'll go over and he'll, he'll tap, you know, or, or he'll, if he wants something and he's not getting it, he'll go and start digging and, and rooting into things. Normally he doesn't do it, but it's when we know he wants something. He's, he's really obedient. Uh, he even helps us corral the boys at night. So he usually looks something like this. Uh, I, I'm in my recliner and then I put the chair down, you know, the noise it makes. And I'm like, okay, boys, it's time for bed. Copper hops up off the couch and goes over to them as well. <laughs> He's trying to corral them, you know. He's always happy to see us. He brings my family a lot of joy. But you know what's gonna happen someday? Copper's gonna pass away too. You know, it's not something you wanna think about, but if you've ever lost an animal that you really cared about, you give it a lot of thought to when you buy the next one. Because you could go through many pets uh, in your lifetime, Lord willing. So we got Copper knowing that he will die. And we'll be in that situation again. Why, why would we do this? Why would we do this? Because love is worth it. I want you to think about that this morning. Alfred Tennyson once wrote, and I know many of you have heard this, "'Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all." But more than that, it's more, it's more basic, I think, and fundamental to who we are that we love how God made us. You know, according to the scriptures, we were made to love. And not just the animals, which some people need a reminder of that. The animals, yes, but not just our little furry friends, but other human beings who've been made in God's image. And we know this, don't we? We know it. Just as we saw with justice, we feel it in our bones that this is what we were created for, to love. This is why we keep trying no matter how many times we fall short. Think about it. Marriages fail. Friendships end. Nations go to war. Yet we keep trying to make it work. Interesting. We keep pursuing love and relationships. We keep trying to live together in community. We know that we're taking a chance, don't we? We know that we're risking uh, getting hurt, getting our heart broken. But still, our desire to love and to be loved can be much greater than our fears, can't it? It's greater than that impulse to want to live in isolation and to protect ourselves from pain. And yes, sometimes we look for love in all the wrong places, as the song says. Remember that song? I remember that hearing that song growing up. Looking for love in all the wrong places. We, we can see plenty of examples today of people calling something love that is truly just selfish, maybe even abusive, dehumanizing, or denies the created order. 
You see, we live in a very hyper-sexualized, sensualized age. It's expressive, individualistic age where there are many distortions of love. And there are different kinds of love. Think about this with me. Unfortunately, there, there's only one word that we have for love in the English language. It's love. <laughs> so, I love my wife. But I also say I love my dog. I love my church. And I love duck donuts. <laughs> and we all know that these aren't the same kinds of love, right? You see, love is manifested differently in each of these categories. That's why in Greek there are at least four words for love that allowed them to distinguish between erotic love, a, a love that ex is expressive of affection for places or things, or human friendship, like phileo kind of love, which we get Philadelphia. And a generous, self-giving, self-sacrificial love. In the Greek, the word is agape. And it's the choice word of the New Testament writers to explain the kind of love that God has in Christ and that we ought to have as well. So they took this word and they, they infused within it a love that reflected the crucified God, a love greater than all the other loves, a love that we all should aspire to, to be loved and to love that way. And so what are we really talking about with love? N.T. Wright says, the word love, whatever its finer shades of meaning, is all about relationship. It's about being drawn out of myself towards something or someone else. In whatever way and with whatever short or long-term effects, aims or effects, it's about discovering that I become more fully myself when I am in relationship. Even if that relationship might be for at least a time with a mountain, a horse, a sunset, a child, a sweetheart, a house, a hospital patient, a colleague, or a neighbor. <laughs> oh, how we need to hear this today, don't we? Because it's a, it's a much needed rebuke to the individualism, to the isolation, to the tribalism and the self-centered thinking the world revolves around me that's so prevalent in American society. And I suspect that most of us know this to be true. We can see that we were made for each other. We are made for relationships. So why is this signpost broken? What's the deal? Why can't we love well? And why is love often disrupted in our lives and in our world? Well, as we're seeing in this series, the Christian faith can help us make sense of this. It can help us make sense of this. Why can't we love well? Why is love so often interrupted? Number one, we hear this in the gospel. The gospels tell us that our sin disrupts love. What is sin? Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's going against God's law and order. It's missing the mark. Very literally, hamartia, that's the word for sin in Greek, it, it, it envisions someone shooting a bow and arrow and missing the target. So we, we, when we sin, we are missing the target of God, how God wants us to live, God's best for us. So that, that's true. 
Uh, the Greek Orthodox, uh, one, Greek, one Greek Orthodox uh, priest I heard said, it's a misuse of human energies. A misuse of human energies. It's, it's what Augustine described as humanity turned in on itself. You see, sin is a disruption to love. It, it negates love. And unrepentant sin thwarts love and severs relationships. It breaks down community. In a couple weeks ago, you heard me talk about the, the Asbury outpouring. Um, it began this way, the confessing of sin. The message in chapel, which I told you was a, a bit un- underwhelming, was a simple message about experiencing the love of God for yourself so that you can love others. In order to do that, it comes with confessing and repenting of sin. And this is what people were doing. And forgiveness was happening. The repairing of relationships was happening. That's right, because sin, again, disrupts. Number two, we, we often see love interrupted because our loves are out of order. Now think about this one. Is there's a proper order to love? Yes. Yeah, Jesus recited the Shema in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40, when he told us to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what? Love our neighbor as ourself. That's the order. You see, lots of people love their maker. A lot of Christians, a lot of evangelicals love their maker, but they don't love their neighbor. Well, later we'll see in 1 John, he says, that person's a liar. They've not known the love of God. Whether they did, they would love their neighbor. And then there are plenty of others in the world today who would love their neighbor but not give a flip about their maker. Jesus says these go together. And and there's a proper order to this, that when you truly experience the love of the creator, the love of God, and you're floored by his grace and by his mercy and by his acceptance of you, well, you can't help but love others the way Christ has loved you. But they have to go together. This, this is the order. All else is idolatry. It really is. At least it ends up going there. Uh, love of God and love of neighbor have to go together or it leads to idolatry. It leads to every form of sin that we've ever seen. So when not loving God with our whole self, and, and not coming to know the God that's been revealed in Jesus and our neighbor, too, then what happens? Our idols come in and take the place of those. Like nationalism. Like the unhealthy love and passion that we can have for sports. Or any kind of hobby or things that could bring us joy, but when misused, become destructive. It becomes a a degraded love. See, when our hearts aren't oriented properly to God's love, we give ourselves over to degraded loves. We, We try to fill the void with other passions. And then number three, Why can't we love well? Why is love so often interrupted? It's because we fail to empathize with others. We were having this conversation with our our staff this past week in a meeting. 
Uh, Pastor Melissa has been walking us through our new definition of a disciple, and we've been looking at bits and pieces of that and this part about to love, to love others. How can we do that well? I said, well, we can't if we don't learn to empathize. That is to put ourselves in other people's shoes. How can we love if we don't enter into the pain and the bondage and the brokenness of others? Answer, we can't. We won't. There must be a willingness not just to uh, imagine what others feel and experience, but also a willingness, you see, to come alongside and to dwell with them. Uh, Empathy, it comes from two Greek words, in and and pathos. It, It literally means in, to enter into suffering, to enter into the suffering and the passion of others. That's what we mean when we say to put ourselves in their shoes. So in order to love well, we must, we must do this. I told our staff this. Uh, I, a couple of weeks ago, I went to Texas to do a funeral for my uncle. And uh, you know how families are complicated, right? And um, I had kind of caught wind. There was, some, there was some stuff going on between one sibling of my deceased uncle and uh, his wife, right? Not some, not nice things were said. And thankfully, and I don't know what prompted this, I was there in the viewing room when there was some reconciliation. And that was wonderful. And then after this, I sat down with this, this aunt who said some not so nice things, but, but apologized, and listened to what had been going on in her life on top of her brother's death. And I was able to enter into her pain and suffering and didn't excuse what she did, but it helped me to enter into her world. It gave me a new perspective. It helped me, it helped to access the love within me and see myself in that pain. This is what the Lord calls us to. This is what God does. Isn't it? Think about it. That's what God does. That's what we see in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, right at the beginning, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, the NIV says. New Living Translation says, so the Word became human and made His home among us. N.T. Wright says, in Israel's scriptures, humans were made in the image of God so that if God were going to become anything then becoming human would be utterly appropriate in the way it would not be appropriate for him to become an elephant or a cactus. <laughs> you see, so in love, this, this God has come to make his home with us. John says that Jesus made his dwelling with us. And he actually uses the same language from the Old Testament that describes the tabernacle in the wilderness. That's what Jesus did Jesus became the presence of God like within the tabernacle. He's a, he's a walking tabernacle. Later on, he'll say, destroy this temple. Speaking of his body, he's the temple of God. Come to us in the wilderness. Jesus tabernacled with us. In other words, Jesus is the place where heaven and earth come together in a wilderness world. Love embodied. Jesus is God with skin. <laughs> where God's presence and power and love all meet. And don't you know you become more like what you worship? You are what you love. 
This is why we're all about following the God who looks like Jesus here at Grantham, because we become like that which we worship. This is why we also say that what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. It's the rudder on the ship giving us access to an experience of God and his love. You see, this Jesus wasn't just born to die. No, he came first to live, to live, to show us that we also can live in this way. We can choose love over fear. We can choose love over the desire to control. We can choose love over law. You see, with the help of the Spirit, we too may walk as Jesus did. John told us that in his epistle, to walk as Jesus did. He came to reveal the Father's love so that we can live in that love, let go of our anger, let go of our bitterness, and let go of our hate. Jesus said it before Yoda did. Well, now, wait a minute. In a galaxy, long time ago, far, far away, right? Star Wars joke. Jesus said it first. And that's what John wants us to see in his gospel. Love has come down to us. That's what we hear in John chapter three. It's a passage that we're really familiar with. We've heard it many times. We have it memorized. For God so loved the world, the cosmos, right? Everything that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, age to come life. We may have access to this future age to come life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, no, but to save the world through him, to make it whole again. It was out of love and for love that the Father sent us Jesus. He came to set the entire cosmos free with his love and his light. This is what John wants us to see in his gospel. And beginning with human beings. This is what we see in John's gospel when we read Jesus' conversation with the religious leader who doesn't want to be seen with Jesus, so he comes to him at night. But he loves him. He loves this religious guy who should know better, who should know these things, but doesn't. It's love that brings Jesus to the Samaritan woman at the well that had been married many times, and Jesus offers her living water. She'll never thirst again. She discovers that love. It changes her life, so much so she tells everybody about it. And then again at his good friend Lazarus' funeral, which he shows up to about four days late, and says, fear not. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though you die, yet shall you live. And Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. In love, Jesus wept. In love, Jesus raised his buddy from the grave. And remember, taking, after taking on the role of a servant, and washing the feet of his disciples there in the upper room, Jesus says, a new command I give you, Love, agape, one another, as I have agaped you, so you must agape one another. Love with this cruciformed love, the love of a servant. Philippians chapter two, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, 
but laid his life down. He took up the role of a servant. By this, Jesus said, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love, if you agape one another. What does love look like? It looks like Jesus. Always and forever. Nothing more, nothing less. Why were we created? Why are we here? What is our mission? It's simple. To share in the love of God and to see that his love is not disrupted, but that it flows out of us and through us as the people of God to every man, woman, and child that's been made in his image. And that's the interesting thing about being made in the image of God. In the ancient world, what they would have thought of by image is that the emperor would have put statues of himself. This is before cable TV and news streaming to say this is who's in charge this is his image this is who you worship this is the glory of the one who sits on high and yet the scriptures say we are the image of God and T. Wright says we are like angled mirrors reflecting the glory of God into the world and then back to himself If people are going to see who God is and what God is like, we must be his image on the earth so that all might know the Lord and share in his goodness. Amen. Listen to what John says in his epistle in 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. See, that, that, that's what John is saying, that God is, doesn't just love, he is love. He's, and, and he can be loved because he's Father, the lover, and the Son, the beloved, and the Spirit, the love that's shared between them for all eternity. God didn't create because he was lonely, he created because he is love. He wants us to share in this love. God, he says in verse nine, showed how much he loved us, if there's any doubt, by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. That's John's way of saying, if people are going to see God, they see it in us when we love. And so brothers and sisters, if you wanna see God's love made complete in us, if we wanna help the world see that the broken signpost of love points to our need for repentance, for healing, for the Spirit's power, to love as Christ loves, then we must set our affections on the one who can bring meaning, purpose, and order to our disordered lives. I like what Jamie Smith tells us in his book, You Are What You Love. He says, Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is in all. 
He's all in all. A vision encapsulated by the shorthand which we call the kingdom of God. So how do we align our our loves and our longings with this? How do we hunger for God and tune our hearts to his? We do it through the liturgies of the heart and the liturgies of home as well as the church. We do it by embracing religious routines and rhythms which will over time soften our hearts, conform our will to his, and lead us into a deeper experience of God's love, thereby enabling us to love others with the love of Christ. You see, as disciples of a loving God, we, this is why we practice prayer. Practice prayer. We read the scriptures. We gather with the church in worship. We regularly fill our hearts and minds with the things of the kingdom. And by this, we are orienting our hearts to what matters most. We cultivate the ground, and he sends the rain. And then in God's time, we bear the fruit of a changed life. I hope you hear me saying this, church. If we want to have an experience of God's love, and yet through our day, we are giving ourselves over to the liturgies of the world, filling our hearts and minds, not with the things of the kingdom, but the things of the world, what then are the chances that you'll experience God in a new way? They are slim to none. This is why we invite the body of Christ to participate in those things that orient our hearts to him. And one way we do this uh, in my family is we begin the day with a, a litany it looks like this. And we do other things as a family, different times that we pray and have devotionals and scripture memory. I encourage you to do all of those. But this is how when I drive our boys to school that I begin the day. And I thought, eh, maybe we could do this together. How about you say the bold part, I'll say the others. Be strong. Be patient. Tell the truth. Work hard. Do what is right. Live in love. Amen. My friends, there's a broken signpost called love. May the Holy Spirit help us to see that its fulfillment is found in Christ. And finally, here are some questions to help us reflect and to respond together. And Pastor Dave, as we did last week, will invite us to the tables for some art. Number one, in what ways have you experienced love as a broken signpost that points to Christ and new creation? What ways have you experienced that in your own life? I trust that some things are coming to your mind right away here. Yeah, that's a broken signpost. It can only be fulfilled in Christ and in the gospel. Number two, what do you need to do in order to align your loves and longings with the gospel and hunger for more of Jesus? There's some liturgies that maybe that you need to embrace. Spend more time in the scriptures and in prayer. What is it that the Lord is speaking to you about? And then lastly, number three, how is the Spirit inviting you to adopt religious routines and rhythms that can help you know God 
and live in his love. You know, I found I don't feel very loving, honestly. I want to exude the love of Christ to others if I'm listening to rage against the machine all the time. Maybe ever, now and then. Let off some steam, express full range of emotions. But let's give us that, this some serious thought, church. How are we spending our time? What is filling our heart and our minds? Let's be intentional so that we can know the love of God and share that love with others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Oh, Lord, we thank you for sending Christ, your son, to embody love for us in human flesh. We thank you, Lord, for all the reminders in the Gospel of John how you've come to bring light and love. And Lord, we, we also see that this is a broken signpost. That our longings and, and our desires can't seem to be fully met in this world. So Lord, may we see that the sign is pointing to the gospel, it's pointing to Christ. And may we call upon Christ to help us know how to live, to live into that vision, and to say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Save us from ourselves. Save us from our hate and our bitterness and our self-centeredness. Set us free to love. For it's in Christ's name that we pray.